This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. This program is intended for mature audiences only. Welcome to Sex, Tantra, and Kama Sutra, bringing you the soul of sex. I'm your host, Francesca Gentile, and with me today is Kimura Lamont. Kimura is an award-winning author, philosopher, dancer, co-founder of Vital Arts, a center for arts and ideas. She lives in upstate New York with her husband and five children. She has a doctorate in the study of religion from Harvard, spent years at Brown and at Harvard University, teaching, writing, dancing. Her latest book is What a Body Knows, Finding Wisdom in Desire. And I am so happy to have you here today, Kimmerer. Thank Welcome. you, Francesca. It's great to be here. One of the things that I think our listening audience is beginning to know is that I actually have a really beautiful opportunity about a half an hour before the show to call our guests and you know, get to know them that more personal way so that when we're here on the show with you, it's not two strangers talking for the first time. It's two people that have really started to tune into one another's spirits. And, you know, to our listening audience, as we know, that's where the magic happens when we start to tune in. And with Kimmerer and I, we were we were getting our mornings together with our with our children, saying goodbye to our children, <laughs> and started to weave together that there's something really important about the body wisdom, the journey of life, when we, you know, and the teachings that we even learn from from those from those little ones, from those young ones. So we're just going to start there for a moment. We're going to go all over the map in our in our half an hour. But tell me a little bit about your family and what you've learned from a little bit from the kids we've learned so much from our children i and and different things from different ones of them but i think one of the big things for us is that having the children has caused us to rethink about so many of the images that we get about what family is and what life is and how love works and how it's all important and so we find ourselves sort of living these synergies. Let me give you an, a, a really good example. And one of them is when Jeff and I, my partner, got together in the early 90s, we had this dream. And this dream was that at some point in our lives, we were going to buy some land and move out to the country and create a place where we could do our art and our, and our work. He's a musician, and I'm a dancer and a writer, and we wanted a place where we could have as a sanctuary for our, our artistic work and closer relationship to the natural world. And then... As we were sort of working towards this dream, we had two children at that point, um, or soon after, uh, Jordan, as our oldest, who's now 14, and Jessica, who's 12. And we would talk to them about this dream, and they knew about it, and they didn't kind of share in the dream the same way we were, but they had their own visions of what they wanted. Jessica, in particular, wanted to have a horse. She was dying to have a horse. And we kept saying to her, Jessica, when we move out to the country, you're going to be able to get your horse. Well... By the time she was seven years old, she had decided she really wanted to do something about this. So she sat down at the computer and started Googling for real estate because she wanted to find us a farm. And she, one day, she usually found, you know, $500 million properties in Colorado, but there was this one day in April of 2005 where she sat down at the computer and she said, Mom, come look at this. 
And there on the computer was a farm. She had looked for Vermont farms because we had talked about going to Vermont. And she found Vermont Border Farm, which was here in upstate New York. And within three or four months, we completely left our home in Arlington, right in the Boston suburbs, and moved to this place because Jessica had enabled it. And we think about that to ourselves in this just strange way. She had her dream. We had our dream. They weren't the same dreams. But in helping her realize what we, let me say one more (laughs) differently, in order, we had to realize our dreams for her sake. And in helping her realize our dreams, we would realize our own we found no, there's, there's something so magical about that. There's, I feel that, you know, I have a child myself that when we have, there's children, and maybe we do that with an adult as well. Maybe we do that with ourselves. We really listen to their dreams. Yeah. And we start to say, what's really important? You know, that discernment of life. And some of us get lost in that, you know, where we, you know, money becomes more important or, you know, having more of this or that. But some of us listen to that that deep soul right. of the of kind of the true dream. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I'd love to, because um, I, I feel it works in a couple of ways. I in in what a body knows the book that you mentioned. I talk about our desire for spirit, and our desire for spirit is what I think of as our desire for a sense of vitality, a sense of direction, and a sense of belonging. So it's you know that energy that gets you up in the morning and the sense of where it is you're going and a sense of why it is important, so that vitality, direction, and belonging. And I feel that um, in, when we talk about that desire for spirit, when it comes to having children, certain kinds of strange logics start coming up. We think about the desire for, for spirit, first of all, as kind of an individual quest. And then when we think about having children, we think about that as somehow compromising or requiring us to sacrifice our own desires for their sake so they can realize their dreams and desires. And I have found that that actually that logic is faulty, that, that it's not a sacrifice and that it's not a compromise and that if we try to do that and live our lives through our children, we end up creating really unhealthy dynamics and that it actually works in a reverse way or it can re- work in a reverse way, that it becomes even more important for the parents to be unfolding their own dreams and listening to their own desire for spirits so that they can model for the children and a life that they would want their child to live, one that's engaged in creating the kind of relationships that we need to support us in becoming who we are. And if we've had children and if we care about children and those children are important to us, then part of what that process will involve is creating our relationships with them mutually enabling relationships that allow them to thrive as well as ourselves. And that would be the same for a relationship with a beloved as well. That it's not about, oh, how can I sacrifice and give myself for you? But something that synergizes in some way, that it becomes that cauldron of that alchemy of something greater. And I want to talk more about some of that greater, especially for those of us who are listening. You know, some of us have kids, some of us don't, but all of us really have gone through some churning in life. And I know, I know, and they don't know yet, that there were some other churning that led to that, that choosing to go to the farm upstate, New York, and to actually fulfill your dreams. 
So when we come back from a break and a word from our sponsors, we'll be talking more about those ups and downs of life, those those challenges and opportunities that can send us in an amazing direction with a little bit of support. And we'll look at what, what some of those steps are to harvest the most out of our tragedies and make them in triumphs when we come back from a break and a word from our sponsors. Welcome back to Sex, Tantra, and Kama Sutra. We're talking with Kimura Lamoth, author of What a Body Knows, Finding Wisdom in Desire. And, um, and I think we're also about to talk about finding wisdom in, in uh, some of those life challenges and life tragedies. Yeah. And that there's a churning that, you know, almost that desire arises out of sometimes, kind of an inner churning. So how do we turn some of those, uh, those tragedies into triumphs? What, what is yeah. the pathway to that? And how does that relate to, to the kids in the house in upstate New York? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I think about desire, I think about it as an impulse that is guiding us or impelling us towards something that's going to give us the satisfaction that we want. And when we think about desire that way, it frees us up a little bit from thinking about the particular objects of a desire. To think about it is this movement in us, this life energy in us that's wanting us to have what we need to thrive. And I think oftentimes in our lives, our desires... Well, we don't learn how to appreciate them. We don't really learn how to listen to them. We don't learn how to open up a space for them. And so as these desires sort of come through us, we experience them as discomfort. They can, you know, in our relationships with our partners, we can experience it as frustration or irritation or, um, uh, you know, a lack of desire in our, in our own bodily cells. We can, we can feel that frustration is a frustration with the, you know, how fat we are, or that we're not fit, and we turn against our bodies. And in our lives, we can experience that sort of frustration or that blockage of our desire as, as, as depression or as a despair or an, an uncertainty about who we are and where we're going. And what I sort of, what, what I want to, am doing in my work and what I want to talk about in my book um, about finding wisdom is, in desire is what is involved in sort of opening up a space inside of ourselves where it's safe to listen to our desires, to get in touch with them, and to figure out what are the movements we can make that aren't going to recreate the kind of pain that we feel. So often in our culture, I think when we feel discomfort of any kind, whether it's frustration or irritation or depression or despair, we just want it to go away. Now, of course we want it to go away. It feels horrible. But we're so trained to think of ourselves as minds living in these bodies, over and against these bodies, that we'll tend to look outside of ourselves and look for this quick fix, something we'll enable us to just like numb the pain or something to distract ourselves, to divert our attention so we don't have to deal with it. But in those cases, we just end up perpetuating the problem and making it worse. So I, I, I trace particular kinds of examples in this, um, in the book and in my work, but part of what I want to say is, is invite people to just sort of listen to our desires. And it can be scary because we're afraid that our desires are going to impel us, that their desires are going to move us in a direction that's not good for us. They're going to do something, tell us to do something that's harmful, that's going to betray us. But 
if we actually listen to them and allow ourselves to do, to do so, we can discern some wisdom in them. Well, let's go back just a smidge to weave our listening audience back into one of those moments where things were very uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and if you can give us that example of how you ended up weaving this in. So we get a picture of that for us. So, so there you were, and you were, you were in Harvard. You were a teacher. Everything was going really beautifully. When suddenly, and life is what happens when you're making plans, when suddenly? Right. Suddenly the door shut to my continuing there. And it shut in a way that was particularly painful for me because it didn't, it, there was an expectation that it wasn't going to shut and it was going to develop in kinds of ways that I had grown attached to. So when all of a sudden that door closed, it was very difficult for me to try to figure out why it had closed and what was going, ne- uh, what was going to happen next. And it involved, you know, personal relationships and the betrayals of people who I thought were my supporters and uh, a real upswell of support that didn't end up being able to go anywhere. And it was, it was a mess. And it was, it was really devastating for me. Um, and, and yet at the same time, as it was happening, I just felt this sort of shaking away of certain kinds of, of voices and images that I had picked up and gathered during my time there about what was important for me. And I started to listen a little bit deeper and realize that actually there was this desire, my own desire for spirit was calling me to move in a different direction. And as I started to listen to it, I realized that it made incredible sense based on the very work that I was doing as a scholar in the academy, that I had been teaching religion and teaching philosophy in the modern period, looking at our mind-over-body attitudes, trying to figure out why dance is such a marginal, is not taken seriously as a means of religious expression or experience. I was working on this mind-body problem, and when this all happened, I, I, I was able to sort of see, wow, wait a minute, this is creating, from, this seems like a block, this seems like an obstacle to what I most want, which is working on these issues and really making progress on them. But do you know what? This is actually the path because this is requiring me to actually do what I most want to do, which is live a life that will enable me to think differently about these things, live a life which will enable me to weave together my love of dance and my relationship to my children and my thinking and reading and writing about religion. You know, so here you were going on, you know, what would everybody would applaud you for being a professor at Harvard and it all looks so good and you're being so scholarly in our world, you know, approves that. It appreciates that. Yeah. And suddenly there's a betrayal. And how many of us, you know, of course, we've all had a betrayal, a death of a dream. And, and, and there's even a, a physical component that some of us go through. Like when my mom died, I, no one had talked to me about how physically painful grieving would be. Yeah. And then... And then what do we do? We're in the midst of this discomfort. And, and you mentioned earlier that you had your back went out at yeah. the same time. Yeah. So there we are. We, we don't want it to, we, ugh, please, can this go away? Please, right. you know, Lord, take this cup from me. Exactly. And, and, and then what do we do? I mean, do we go grab a bottle of booze? Do we, <laughs> you know, do we, do we go to the, you know, psycho, psychotherapist and get some, you know, uh, antidepressants? I mean, what do we do that really allows us to make that turn to say these things that look so separate? You know, my, my, my business or my life or my relationship or my thought of who I am or my body falling apart is actually leading me somewhere where I need to go. So what are some practices that can support us to, to turn that corner? 
Then what did you do? Yeah. Well, one of the things I did is I used what I call a cycle of breaths, and it's just it's something I invented, although, I mean, I invented it out of a lot of things that I've been doing. I've been practicing yoga for years and dance for years and done a lot of different kinds of workshops. But And, and so I think the cycle of breaths is one example of the kind of thing that you can do. Um, but the first thing to do is, like, breathe, right, and allow yourself to feel what you're feeling. And I think it's, it's re- it sounds really easy, but it's really hard. <laughs> it takes time, it takes space, and it takes just a willingness to feel the discomfort, right? And, and so there's one part that's just allowing yourself to breathe, allowing yourself to breathe down, to feel the earth supporting you, and then to open up a space inside of yourself. And, the, you know, the second thing for me that's really important is being able to realize that those, you know, the pain that you feel, the yuck feelings that you feel, the, um, those are all information. They're really important information for you. It's telling you things you need to know about how to live a life that's going to be the life you want to live. I sometimes think about them as potential for pleasure that has yet to unfold. Those pains inside of us, that suffering, that feeling of crampness, those feelings of depression, those are all potentials for pleasure that are yearning to unfold in us. And what we need to do in order to align with that movement like it wants to happen it's not like we have to like change our our lives by imposing this right idea or right practice or right belief upon ourselves we have to allow ourselves to unfold you know like a plant like the rose needs to unfold you have to allow it to happen by being willing to move with it and being willing to follow those impulses to move that are arising within you and learn from them about how to make the movements that are going to bring you the kind of deep satisfaction that you want you know, I really, this sounds very, very rich, and I, I love this idea of this, you know, my body even relaxes thinking of it, that that rather than being tight and coiled, something could unfold, it could unfurl. Yeah. I want to talk more about what that looks like, how that feels in our body, and, and also how to use discernment, because uh, I can just imagine going off several deep ends, even now, as we come back from a break, and a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Okay. Welcome back to Sex, Tantra, and Kama Sutra. We're talking with Kimra Lamont, award-winning author, philosopher, and dancer. And we're talking about that unfolding, unfurling. Something in us moves. It starts out uncomfortable, and then maybe it, it can even feel like desire, like, ooh, I'm really attracted to, you know, for me, it might be like the guy at the office or something like that. Right. But am I really attracted to the guy at the office? Is it just that I'm unsatisfied with something at home? You know, maybe that is it. Or is it that maybe I used to paint and I don't paint anymore? Could you right. help us a little bit in that discernment around what's arising? Yeah. Well, let's talk about the desire for sex in that context. Because let's talk about it. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's a huge one because we get so many messages in our culture about what it is that's going to satisfy our desire for sex. 
And we, because we're so trained to think of ourselves as minds and bodies, like, I mean, we're educated, you know, from day one in kindergarten, sit still and use your mind. That, you know, our, we're, we identify with our minds. And we, so we think that, and how it works out in our desire for sex is we think that what we want for, that what it is that's going to satisfy our sex, desire for sex, is just the physical actions. We think of sex as a physical thing. And if there's love there and the love and the sex are together, then that's really great and that's even better. But the sex itself can just happen. And so if we feel... So, so we're separated from our desire for sex. And so, so the one, one of the things that I want to do sort of in my book is invite us to shift our experience so that we realize that our desire for sex is actually, or I, I sort of flip it to think about it as a desire for giving and receiving a life-enabling touch. That, think about it this way. What is it that's really going to give you satisfaction in sex? Is it going to be having a one-night stand with somebody you don't really know or even having you know, a sex a few times with an acquaintance? That is going to be a, a physical pleasure, and it's going, to be, it's going to happen, and it's going to be over. But even if you want to say what you really want is a physical pleasure, what, what are you as a human being, what are going to be the conditions that are going to enable you to have that physical pleasure on an ongoing basis as the reality of your life? And that leads you to, to, to the conclusion that, well, actually, what your desire for sex is guiding you to do is to create a relationship within which your ongoing satisfaction is a reality. And so what is involved in creating that relationship? Well, it's not just a physical component, but we are bodies, yes, but we're also, our sensory selves are so rich. We're emotional and we're intellectual and we're spiritual. And insofar as we want to open to one another in ways that will give us the pleasure we seek, we need to connect with people on all of those levels. And the more we connect on the more levels, the more and more pleasure we actually find. So what I think I hear you saying is that sense of, here I'm attracted to the guy at the office, he's so cute, and he has a nice butt, or whatever. And it may be true that I'm attracted to him, but it may be something that's awakening in me that says, what about being connected to more of life? What about, you know, what about dance? What about, I know people who've kind of gone through something like this where they've, you know, studied massage or they've, or they've deepened more into various kinds of dance and their, their whole world has gotten broader yes. in their engagement, so to speak. They're sensual, they're sensate engagement. That's right. That's right. Rather than focusing it on, you know, the next person that's going to be a fix. Yeah, I think that's a great way of thinking about it. Because, I mean, when we, when we sort of cut ourselves off from our desires anyway, it's still that sort of way of thinking about our bodies is just these material objects that we live in that we sort of carry around and have them do our bidding from time to time. And, once, and our bodies will protest against that, right? They will manifest in certain kinds as eruptions of desire or as eruptions in, in, in terms of feelings or emotions or illness even. And I, I do think... That, are, that, again, you know, as you're saying, it's, it's our bodily selves communicating with us, trying to break through kind of the social conditioning that we get to actually align us with the kind of forces of life and creativity and well-being that are coursing through us. And oftentimes, we haven't, if we are involved in a significant relationship, in a partner relationship, oftentimes we settle into patterns of interacting with that partner that don't open us up to our full selves. And we do it for all kinds of reasons. Oftentimes, we do it for the relationship. We think, oh, well, in order not to rock the boat, I'm not going to bring up this 
irritation that I have, or I'm not going to talk about this frustration, or I'm not going to mention that I feel this way because I don't think my partner will like it. And if we close off these little bits and pieces of ourselves, we silence them, and then our passion can't flow through those bits and pieces of ourselves. And so, so we start feeling less in relationship to our partners, and it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, well, desire just dies over time. Passion fades. We become good friends. But actually, and then we start our desire starts trying to find other objects, right, outside of the relationship. So I, I do feel that oftentimes when we feel that desire that's sort of pointing us outside of the relationship, that oftentimes it's actually calling us to go, to, to go deeper and to realize that, our, that there are parts of ourselves that we're not allowing to live in that relationship and in ourselves. And all and kinds, yeah. I love that, what you're saying, that we're not allowing parts of ourselves to live. And, you know, if we're not allowing our authentic nature in some way to at least be spoken into the world yeah. and considered, then yeah. whose life are we leading? You know, are we actually alive in this world? And, and you know, I say this for myself with, with kind of a sensitivity and a tenderness, you know, a couple years after my mom's death and in a new relationship as we're speaking, you know, that there are some challenging conversations that might need to be had. Yeah. But I think to myself, if I don't, if I have them, oh, I could lose the relationship. Right, exactly. But if I don't have them, I could lose me yeah. in this world, living right. alive as a passionate spirit in this world. That's right. So, you know, what's at stake is literally uh, the authentic expression of a soul in the planet, which I think is important. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm not living mine and you're not living yours, I mean, we're, let's say we're in a relationship together, then, then what about our children and what about the people that we know? Everything right. starts to constrict again. That's right. That's right. And it's so hard to stay open at that moment. I have this sort of little saying also in, in, the, in What A Body Knows where I say, you know, ask for what you need and you have more to give. I mean, the reality of relationships is so paradoxical, and we don't think of it because we always think of ourselves as individuals. But if we do, and so, so we will hold back from asking for what we need or from what we want because we think we're doing it for our partner or because we're afraid or we're afraid that our partner will reject us. or um, It can be any of those. But when we do that, we actually, and it, as we're closing off those places of ourselves, we have less to give. And this is this paradox is that when we're actually open with our sensory selves and sharing what it is we need and want, we have more to give. Our love flows and our love grows. And as we share those things, we get better at better at sharing and better at better at receiving. And we're, we are able to move with our partners in ways that we really affirm our desire to be with our partner and our partner's desire to be with us as what can be more real than our fears and what can create the world in which we want to live together, right? Mm, that is so beautiful. May we deepen and support and encourage and sometimes challenge one another to be in that deep, authentic nature. Yeah. And may, you know, may those radiant souls that I believe we're meant to be, be here on our planet. Thank you so much, Kimmerer, for just bringing your wisdom, your life, your knowledge. I, I, I got a chance to talk to her before we, we were on this call together with you all, and I recommend that you buy her book and, and get to know her. And how would people reach you? How would they find you? Uh, what is your contact information? Oh, thank you, Francesca, so much. Um, the book is called What a Body Knows, and if you go to www.com, 
whatabodyknows.com. You can find all the information. That will take you right into our website. You can see pictures of the farm and pictures of the kids and um, everything that we're doing here. And you can also go to Amazon and search for it, and you can find it there. Your local bookstores should have it, too. Thank you so much, Kimmerer. And I just want to thank all of you, our listening audience, for being on this journey with us because this is no accident that we're all here in this wonderful show together. And if you want to find out more about Kimmerer, get transcripts from the show, see her face, or find out more about me, my services, see my lovely face, you can do that <laughs> at www.personallifemedia.com. Sex Tantra and Kama Sutra, bringing you the soul of sex. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.